Well, please turn in your Bibles now to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7. I think it's interesting that Brother Josh Shuiso picked these verses as the verse of the month. I thought that's interesting. Were you intending this? You didn't even think of it. Isn't that something? <laughs> it's those little things that the Holy Spirit does. Isn't that interesting? You know, that he brings those scriptural promises of pardon on the screen and then uh, turns out to be our text this morning. So I think that's, that's a really neat thing. Let's stand together and read Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7. Now hear the very word of God. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray these would be life-giving words this morning, that we would feel the spiritual life of these words seeping through our spiritual bloodstreams this morning, that we would come alive even more so as we hear the word this morning. But Father, only by your power and by your spirit, not by the preacher. By your Spirit, this morning, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, it's good to be back. Back into Isaiah and back before you to get into the Word of God and get it into ourselves. This morning, I want to spend just a few minutes reviewing and catching up to chapter 55. Uh, and for the children, the notes refer to something that's going to happen about halfway through the sermon. So I'm going to specifically draw in the children at one point. So get ready, children. I'll, I'm coming back to you. Uh, but let's look at where we are right now in the book of Isaiah so that we're not just lost. As I see it, these are definitively New Testament passages. They speak so directly to the content of the New Testament. It's as if you're reading from the New Testament when you're reading Isaiah 53, 54, and 55. You go all the way back to chapter 49 into 53 that what you find is the description of the suffering servant, of the, the Messiah, the atoning, redeeming work of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. So Isaiah 53 well, may be one of the most specific passages in all of Scripture as to what happened in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. So it's Isaiah 53. Then you move into Isaiah 54 and we see the effects of this New Testament uh, atoning, redeeming work spreading through the New Testament church and all around the world. It's as if this redemption that Jesus gave to us literally explodes on the scene and it goes all the way around the world and we have this amazing transformation of the world and that's really going to be covered throughout the next number of chapters throughout chapter 66 of Isaiah. But, but then we just have this idea that righteousness prevails everywhere. Light turn on in the darkness is one reason why when I did the history of the world... Preparing the world for Jesus is everything up to AD 33. And then taking the world for Jesus is everything after AD 33. So this is really it. Jesus comes, the lights turn on, amazing things begin to happen. It is amazing that righteousness is prevailing in the world. And, and we rejoice. Our hearts leap for what God is doing in Nepal and everywhere else around the world. Everything is being restored right now, out of the darkness of paganism. 
If you contrast paganism to where we are today, night, night and day, light and darkness, amazing the difference, uh, God restores everything out of the darkness of paganism. And maybe with the exception of apostate nations. Now some of us get depressed because we grew up in an apostate nation where things are going the opposite direction. But ignore the apostate nations for a moment. Pretend that we're not in an apostate nation, but we're actually the people of God that are viewing what Jesus has done over 2,000 years of world history, and we are amazed at the turnaround in sexuality, in marriage, honesty in dealings in business, freedom from political tyrants, I mean, even something as minor, I don't think Brother George would say this is minor, but something as minor as the change in the economy and the use of uh, honest money over about 1,500 years of world history until Abraham Lincoln. So amazing what, uh, what the gospel did. Now the Romans didn't do that, but Christian government brought in honest money over a period of 1,500 years until the, uh, the apostasy of America and the apostasy of the modern world. But, uh, but after Jesus, this explosion happens all around the world. The redemption of God's people is happening even right now. And as God's people, we celebrate this. We read Isaiah 55, 54 and 55 with a great deal of excitement because we know that God is doing something big all around the world. The prodigals are coming home by the thousands and the tens of thousands around the world. And uh, we witnessed something of that from Nepal last week. Enlarge the place of your tent. Chapter 54. Let them stretch out the curtain of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen the cords of the tent. Strengthen the stakes of the tent. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So there it is. That's uh, chapter 54. Just thrilling what has happened in terms of Jesus' work around the world. It's even more thrilling than what Napoleon accomplished. I hear one amen. Okay. Well, which really was nothing. Whatever Napoleon did was nothing. So don't even bother spending much time reading about Napoleon. He died a broken man off the island, an island off of Africa, and acknowledged in his dying moments that Jesus Christ was the greatest man who ever lived because, he said, Jesus Christ is God. Those were Napoleon's last words. Okay, so now we're in chapter 55. So what is, what is chapter 55? But it is the personal application of everything we've heard in the last number of chapters in your life and my life. This is personal now. This is the personal application. Let's look at the first two verses. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, the prophet begins by just looking around for anybody with a spiritual hunger and thirst. Okay, that's what the prophet is doing here. Now, I believe that everybody hungers and thirsts. Don't go for a meal for a day or two and you will hunger and you will thirst. We all know what it is to be hungry and to be thirsty. Mick Jagger had it right. He was honest. And I'm thankful for a little honesty here. By the way, the most requested song in radio since the 1960s. And then there's a little point that I take along with me because I was in radio for so many years. And so in radio, you know, you ask for requests from time to time. People call them in to you. I worked a 50s station, and, and this is the kind of song that they would request. It's the most requested song of the modern age. Why is this? Because the modern age is more aware, I think, than any other age that we can't get satisfaction. People cannot get satisfaction today. They know it. They're past the denial phase. They know that they can't get satisfaction. You see, the problem with man is desire. And this is the entire doctrine of Buddhism. Buddhism is reacting to Mick Jagger. 
and it has for 2,600 years. Buddhism teaches that the problem with man is desire. But this is very simple. Buddhism is a very simple religion and has captured, you know, a billion people around the world. Japan, India, everywhere else. Buddhism teaches the problem with man is desire. And so the way to solve the problem is to eliminate desire. That's the sum total of Buddhism. That's it. That's all there is to it. Nothing else to it. And they want to eliminate desire for one reason. They came to the conclusion that as long as desire exists, we can't get no satisfaction. That's why Buddhism. It's a very honest religion in some ways, but it's also dishonest. And I'm here to tell you that Mick is wrong. The Buddhists are wrong. They, they were right in that you can't get desire, the things you desire, if you desire the wrong thing. That's, that's the problem. Man desires the wrong thing and he looks for it in the wrong place. We can pretend to eliminate desire and that's what Buddhism does. It does its best through meditation and through self-deception to eliminate the possibility of desire. And they pretend like they have eliminated it. We can pretend to be satisfied. And that's what the alcoholic does. That's what the drug addict does. The diversion addict And they can pretend and pretend and pretend to be satisfied, but they can't get satisfaction. They just cannot do it. There is this constant seeking of satisfaction. This is what men do. This is what everybody does in the world. Even the Buddhists. They desire to end their desire. So everybody is desiring something because they want satisfaction. And they want to get satisfaction out of it. So my question today for you is this. Are you satisfied today? Is your soul at rest today? Be honest with me. Be honest with the word this morning. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry for anything? And has your soul been satisfied? Satisfaction is rest. As Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in Thee, O God. Satisfaction is fulfillment. A ceasing of searching. No longer needing to hear the music from Mick anymore. Can't get no satisfaction. No longer is your search for satisfaction this endless Futility, but that you have found the thing that satisfies you. You you have come home. You've come to rest. You know that you are at home. You have soul peace. And you can say, it is well with my soul. It's really well with my soul. This was the issue that Jesus brought up with the woman at the well. So go there for just a moment. John 4 and verse 13. John 4 and verse 13. This is the woman at the well. I won't read the whole story, but you remember Jesus offered water that would forever quench her thirst. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband, come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband, in that you have spoken truly. So this woman at the well was trying and trying and trying. She had tried and tried and tried to get no satisfaction in the end. Just like Mick Jagger would try and try and try but still cannot get a satisfaction. She tried it with this husband. She tried it with another husband. And this is what people do. They turn their lives upside down because they can't get no satisfaction. They go through the divorce. They destroy their family. They undermine generations because they can't get no satisfaction. That's the reason for it. They are so desirous of 
of a fulfillment. Their souls are needing something. And they go out there and they turn their lives upside down. They ruin it four, five, six, seven times in a row because they're looking for some satisfaction. And here in this passage, we find that they will spend money for it. They'll spend their resources. They will do everything they can to gain more personal peace and affluence, thinking that that will give them some satisfaction. Many will work for vacation, for retirement, hoping for eventual satisfaction, but but nothing but disappointment and more disappointment. That's what happens in their lives. That's why people's lives are so vacated of any real fulfillment. That's why their eyes are so glazed over. That's why there's no joy. That's why there's no sense of fulfillment. And they will tell you that they get no satisfaction. They will be honest with you. They will request the song from a radio station. They, 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 they will tell you this. They don't hide it from you. They won't hide it from you. They will tell you they have no satisfaction. This is what the world is all about. But God offers satisfaction without money and without price. Here it is. You don't have to spend anything. People spend their lives. They spend their money, their resources. But here, God offers a satisfaction without money and without price. You say, what must I do to gain a satisfaction? I want a satisfaction. I want peace. I want rest. I'm tired of of fighting inside the turmoil that just continues and continues and continues. And I try and I try and I try and I try. But tell me, how can I gain this? And it's interesting that God offers it without money, without price. You say, what must I do? It's come to the waters. Now listen to these verb forms. Listen, Listen to these verb forms. Here. 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 Take your fingers out of your ears. Just hear for a moment. Just listen. It seems so easy, does it? Come. Receive. Look to Jesus. Believe in God's salvation. Ask. Seek. Look. Hear. Come. They're all four letter words. Wait. Ask was three letters, sorry. This isn't very hard. There's not much to it. It's it's simple. That's the point made here. There's nothing to it hardly, except to seek, to ask, to find. Jesus said to them, verse 35 of John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Come to me. Just come to me. It's not too hard to come to Jesus. If you lost everything you had, your family, your home, your belongings, everything you had, and all you were left with was faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your prophet, priest, and king, there you are in a communist prison for the next 27 years of your life. You've lost everything. Everything that was once your life is gone. But you still have Jesus. You still believe in your prophet, your priest, your king. Now you're satisfied. Are you satisfied with that? Are you okay with that? Where do you find your satisfaction? I mean, imagine for a moment that it's all going to go away. It's not too hard for me because a lot of my life has gone away. I can just tell you that I'm losing things in my life. And I I don't know, but someday I may lose everything. There I am in communist prison. It's okay. Amen? It's okay. I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? All you had was Jesus. Is that okay? Oh, yes. Brothers and sisters... We're, we're okay because we have Christ. Now, where do you find the satisfaction? And what do we hunger and thirst after? I want to go into this a little bit. There are three sources of satisfaction that you'll find in Scripture. The world is looking for satisfaction in sex and money and drugs and diversions, power, etc. And by the way, Solomon tried all that. There's a book in the Bible about this called Ecclesiastes. And... He tried all this, got a t-shirt, got all the t-shirts, got quite a few t-shirts. Then he said at the end, it's all vanity. 
can get no satisfaction. Confirmed. Check. Solomon figured it out. But where do we find the satisfaction? That's the question here that I want to get to. It's verses 2 and 3. Look at 2 and 3. First source of satisfaction is God's Word. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and you shall live. Can't get no satisfaction? Hear, listen. Just listen. That's it. You say, is that all? Yeah, that's it. Listen to God's Word. We find it in the Word of God. Now, does this seem strange to us that we would find it in words on a page? Black marks on a page. Or propositions preached on a Sunday morning. You come in, you go, it's just some guy moving air through and and vibrating the air through the environment. That's all it is. And yet, here is a picture of the person who is hungering and thirsting, languishing in the desert. Think of that guy crawling across the desert to just get a drink of water. Somebody crawling out of bed just to grab the, grab the book here. Just there, there was something here that, that, that will satisfy. There's something in church, people literally crawling across the parking lot on a Sunday morning to get into the door. I mean, languishing, hungering and thirsting after the Word of God. Does your soul long for anything? Is there a vacuum in your life? Are you trying to fill it with something? What are you filling it with? Everybody fills it with something. You can call a radio station and have them play the song again if you want to. Just to remind yourself that you can't get no satisfaction. Or you could get it from the Word of God. Listen to the testimony of the godly in Scripture. This is Job. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I've esteemed the words of God even better than my necessary food. And that's why we fast. That's why we skip meals. We, we need more time in the Word and prayer, more focused time. We want to do this, not because somebody told us to do it, but because we want to do it. John 6, the disciples say, to whom shall we go? You only have the words of eternal life. Or here, here I want you to pay close attention to Jeremiah 15, 16. This really says it, because I... I think this is the issue. Your words were found, and I ate them. Okay, your words were found, Jeremiah said, I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Now, the reason this is important is because this opened up the theme for us. Your words were found, I ate them. I personalized them. I brought them into my very soul. Your words were to me joy and rejoicing, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I hear you calling me. Now this is the reason why the word of God is a source of life for us. This is at three points. And children, it's in your outline right now. I'm going to hit them three in a row right now. So be sure you have your outline before you, children. I want you to listen to me, folks. Just 60 seconds. This is really the essence of the message. You can forget about the rest if you want. So this is it. Why do you find such satisfaction in the words of God? That's the question I want to answer. Why are you crawling across the parking lot this morning to get in here? Why are you crawling across your living room to grab the Word of God because you so need it? Why? Now listen. Three points. The first is that these are the words of God. These are not the words of some guru, not the words of some encouraging guy I know, not the words of of me or the devil or all these inputs that I'm getting from Facebook. These are the very words of God. Secondly, these words are for me. God is talking to me, and God is talking to you. Children, 
These words are for you. Personally. Somebody's talking to you. God is talking to you. He's talking directly to you. He has a message for you. God has a message for you. And then thirdly, these words contain all of the life, all of the hope, all of the peace, all of the joy, all of the good that you could ever experience in life and eternity. Those are the three reasons why you reach for the Word of God and you languish for it and receive it. Now, everybody understands this. I think everybody does. Words are powerful things. I'm amazed at what words can do for a discouraged person. I want you to try this out from time to time. Somebody's discouraged, you tell them, I love you. I'm grateful for you. God has given you amazing gifts. You have been an amazing encouragement in my own life. There is a power and a life-giving energy that just seeps through a person when they receive those things, right? Have, have you ever had an encouraging word from somebody? I know I have. It is, it is like a, a human-based miracle. Not a God-based as much as a human-based. And Joel Osteen and Dale Carnegie are onto something. They know that words have power. Absolutely. Now, here's the argument. We all know that words have power. You encourage, you infirm, you, you, you bring a word in season to a brother or sister who's down, downcast. Words have a power, and you know they have a power. Everybody in the whole universe knows they have a power. Now, let me ask you this. What about God's words? What if you believed in God? What if you believe that God spoke to you in His Word? You know, you're looking at the Word and you're going, He's talking to me. God speaks, He speaks to you, and He speaks to you infinitely life-giving words, and you are listening today. You're hearing it, and it's coming directly from God to you, and there couldn't be more life, there couldn't be more encouragement, there couldn't be more power than the words of God in your life. Well, now listen to these words again. God speaking to you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now again, you've got to believe in God for this, okay? If you don't believe in God, it's not going to work. If you don't believe this is God's Word, it's not going to work. If you don't believe that God's speaking to you, it's not going to work. You're going to have to believe in God. You're going to have to believe He's speaking to you. Directly to you. To me, Kevin. To you, Rigo. To you, Brenda. That he is, He's saying... Brenda, I have a message for you right now. This is Jesus. Listen, believe in me, he says. Kevin, Brenda, Rigo, believe in me and you will never thirst. He who eats this bread, that is me, will live forever. And you hear these words and they just begin to to encourage you and, and strengthen you and they seep through your bloodstream and you realize, he's talking to me. He means what he says. And he is, he is providing this life for me right now. I can feel it in my very soul. I, I feel it rushing in like a, a beautiful stream of water coming into my soul and encouraging my very soul this morning. So when you come to God's Word, brothers and sisters, you come to God speaking. To you, the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate truth, the ultimate encourager, the ultimate life giver. One more question, no doubts in your mind right now, and that is, how do you know he's speaking to me? How do you know, pastor, he's speaking to you? Because you're listening. Because you're listening. Because you don't have your fingers in your ear and you're going, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Remember the kids used to do that in the playground? Do you remember that? Did anybody, anybody else? I can't hear anything you're saying, I can't hear anything you're saying. You stopped doing that. You pulled your fingers out of your ear and now you're, you're, you're at the very edge of your seat and you're saying, talk to me God. Tell me what you, what you want to tell me today. Give me your life-giving words today. You're listening. That's the only reason. 
Remember John 6, 63, Jesus said, The words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. As we allow the words, let me say this one more time. As we allow these words to enter our heads and hearts, we're not pushing back. Again, your mind can do this. Your mind can, can turn off right now as I'm talking. I'm guessing that's happening to some of you right now. You just turn off. And as you're reading your word, you read a couple of words, you turn off. You read a couple more words, you turn it off. You read more words, you're turning it off. You have a habit of turning it off. You have a habit of putting your fingers back in your ears. It's a bad habit. Wouldn't you all agree? That's a bad habit. I don't know, maybe satanic. I don't know what it is. But you've got to get your fingers out of your ears. And as you receive it, you'll begin to feel yourself coming more alive than you ever have. A a spiritual life, a spiritual strength, a spiritual understanding, a, a new life, new values, new hopes, new joys, something that cannot ever be taken away from you, coming into you right now. Okay, so the first is that we long for, we desire, the very words of God. Secondly, we are satisfied with spiritual life. Jesus is the bread of life. And the minute you believe in Him, you feel a spiritual life surging through your being and you feel more alive than you ever have. Verse 2 says, let yourself delight in the abundance of it. There will be an abundant life. That is, there's a satisfaction, but as I see it, there's a satisfaction that only increases. Now, how does that work? Here's the best way I can explain it to you. Um, when it comes to God's love and God's life coming into your life, at first your heart is like teeny-weeny, you know. I mean, our hearts are like little shriveled-up things, and, and we get a little bit of it. And then Paul says we got to be filled with the fullness of God, but then, you know, in order to be filled with the fullness of God, you've got to be ready. You've got to be increased in your ability, your capacity to receive that life and that love. And so what happens, here's what happens, is you are full, and then your heart increases, and, and that enables you to receive more of the abundance the abundant life, the love that God is putting in your heart. So it just increases and increases. That fulfillment just increases. And all that satisfaction just, just increases all the time. So it's not as if your satisfaction is just, you know, that fulfillment is this big and then it stays that big forever. It just continues. That satisfaction only increases and increases. Whereas earthly satisfaction is fleeting. It comes and goes. This satisfaction is permanent. It's internal satisfaction, eternal life. There's this eternal aspect to it. Verse 2 again, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? See, here's one of the problems with the six-pack. I'm not talking about root beer. I'm talking about six-pack. Well, maybe it's root beer as well for some of you. I don't know. But, but let's say that the six-pack of beer. There's a lot of guys that they work hard all day because there's a six-pack of beer. There's fulfillment that is right there. But the problem is that it only lasts about two or three hours. See, that's the problem with the six-pack. It's just not going to give you anything. It's not going to give you enough. But that's not from God. God doesn't give you a six-pack. Here, I hope this uh, mama's little helper. What am I doing drawing from the Rolling Stones as much as I am this morning? I'm sorry. But I'm just saying, that's the world. That's what they're doing. They use a little mama's little helper, right, to get them over. The little six-pack to get them over. It's the same worldview. It's all futility. It's all vanity. They'll tell you it's vanity. Go ask Mick. Oh, we just did. He tells you it's vanity. It's all vanity. Can't get no satisfaction. A little more helper. Not going to help. You see, that's the devil's comfort. Was it Leonard Ravenhill that said entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy? Oh no, brothers, sisters. That's just not from God. God doesn't get, oh, here's a little something to get you by. You'll have a hangover in the morning, but oh well. Does that sound like God to you? No, that's that's not God. God's going to give us satisfaction that remains. A fulfillment that just increases as the years go by all the way into eternity. Brothers and sisters. So the world spends itself on cisterns that cannot hold water. And this is, I, I could go further into that verse, but just go back to the exhortation. It's very good. It's all futility. They work so hard for it. But the water just keeps going through that broken cistern. It's all vanity. It's all futility. And brothers and sisters, sadly, some churchgoers, 
They'll keep their eye on the world. They have one eye on the world. Now maybe, just maybe, there's some satisfaction there. Okay, I'll receive a little bit of this Jesus stuff this morning. Sounds like a pretty good message to me. But I still want to keep one foot just in case the world gives me what I need. It's like Lot's wife. What a sad, sad reality. As the the city is, is burning down, it's just smoke and everybody's dead. She looks back and says, well, there may still be something there for me. Outrageous. What tremendous vanity and futility and and deception in the mind of Lot's wife as she looks back at the world. It's smoking. And our world is smoking too. Babylon's on fire big time. So I see it. The brimstone has already started. Teleologically, socially, economically, culturally, uh, despair deaths just about 50 times what they were in 1960. It's just outrageous unbelievably bad, and we all know this, that's because the world is on fire, and yet there are people, young people in churches like, like ours, who says, yeah, but there's something there for me, there's something still in Sodom for me, oh no there isn't, don't be so foolish, it's, it'd be so foolish to think of there being anything there for you, what used to give two hours of satisfaction to the world, now only gives five minutes of satisfaction, so the world has to hit the fentanyl again. And a hundred other diversions about every five minutes because it's just not giving satisfaction for the three hours. Now it's only three minutes. And yet people are still running after it, trying to gain some satisfaction from it. Brothers and sisters, uh, God cannot but give goodness, perfect goodness. Who is God? He's not some drug dealer. Trying to pawn off some fentanyl. Here, this will make you feel better for the next 10 minutes. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, God is better than that. God is, God is ultimately good. And if your perspective is not there, then you can't move on in the sermon. God is the infinite of all goodness. He is the very definition of goodness. He's the very essence of everything that is good. He cannot help but give permanent, eternal life, abundant life, permanent, eternal satisfaction Eternal life begins here now. One of the most remarkable truths that comes out of John 3 and John 10, I'm amazed that eternal life begins now. Like we are in eternal life as we believe in the only begotten Son of God. John 10, same thing. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And then finally, so we hunger and we thirst after the word, after the life that Jesus gives, and then thirdly, we're satisfied with his righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So this is the third thing that we hunger and thirst for. We're not hungering and thirsting after fentanyl. We're not hungering and thirsting after whatever the world gives us, pride, lust, whatever. We're hungering and thirsting after the word of God, the life that Jesus gives, and the righteousness that Jesus provides for us. Sin and guilt is the biggest heartbreak of our lives. That's the biggest problem in our lives. That's what's ruined our lives. It's ruined our relationship with God. It's ruined the relationship with everybody else. Sin. We're undone. We're filthy. We're spiritual lepers. We see a need. We cry out to Jesus. He comes to heal us. And He gives us His righteousness. We can see our spiritual need, our impoverishment. We need justification. And sanctification, we need our guilt dealt with. We need our, our horrible sense of uncleanliness dealt with. And all of that comes by the blood of Christ, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, well, that's what we're hungering and thirsting after. That's how we receive ultimate fulfillment. And then let's quickly go through the last few verses of the passage. Verses 4 through 5. All of this comes by a person. All of this comes by a person. Incline your ear to me, come to me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. That is, there is this person. This person has come, died on the cross, suffering servant of God, 53, 54. He's king. All the nations coming to him. He is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate king, who conveys to us the ultimate truth and the ultimate righteousness. 
A king who rules in righteousness. And his kingdom spreads around the world. Two billion people, roughly 2,000 times larger than Israel. 20 million times larger than the 120 gathered in the upper room. The rule of Jesus Christ, nothing short of phenomenal. He's a king who wins his battles, governs his people, makes them willing the day of his power. That's the message here. Let's move on. Let's make application. Let's close with application, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. So, so the question is, what do we do? already alluded to this a little bit. Simple words, right? Seek, hear, listen. Not too complicated. Just get your fingers out of your ears. Come to Jesus. So very simple verb forms used here. So let's not make this too complicated. Amen this morning? Okay. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Have you found the Lord? You found your delight in the Lord. You found your satisfaction in Jesus. You satisfied in His Word, His life, His righteousness? Or is all this foreign to you? I want to answer the question both ways. Are you satisfied? Are you really satisfied this morning? There's a point in a man's life, a woman's life, where you finally say, you know what, I've been faking it. Or I haven't answered the honest questions. I need to answer the honest question. I just need to say it. I have satisfaction. Or I don't have satisfaction. If you don't have satisfaction, seek the Lord. Just seek the Lord. So I'm telling you, seek the Lord. Now, you may be seeking satisfaction again, a little bit here, a little bit there. You may say, I, I, I just, I've been seeking the Lord, but I've been seeking all these other things. Well, what does Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 tell us? You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. So, some of you may be saying, well, I don't know as if I found him. Well, if you're going to find him, you're going to have to seek him with all your heart. You'll have to lay aside the other things you've been seeking and say, I am going to seek the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to throw myself into this and I'm going to seek him with all my heart. And we have a promise here, if you seek him with all your heart, You will find Him. Are you at peace? Can you honestly say, I have the ultimate peace that passes all understanding in my life? If the answer is yes, then I I, I want to encourage you to seek Him more. Go deeper. Drink deeper of Him. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, speaks of a superficial tasting of the things of God. So represents the modern church. It's a watered-down church where there's just this anemia. People are laying all over the pews, and really there's no, nobody on fire for Jesus. He was seeing some of that stuff in the 1930s and 40s. And A.W. Tozer wrote this. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire for Christ. Acute desire must be present, or there will be no manifestation of Christ to His people. He waits to be wanted. Let's say that again. He waits to be wanted. And I'll say one more thing. He waits to be sought, to be somebody seeking Him with a little bit of oomph to it. He waits to be wanted. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us today. In its stead are programs, methods, organizations, a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention, but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, And that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. So brothers and sisters, I urge you to seek God. Seek Him with a more aggressive spirit. Seek Him more so than you seek other things. It's okay to seek some groceries at Safeway and things. I get that. Okay, but I'm just saying, throw yourself into seeking God with all your heart. That you will not let Him go unless He blesses you. You won't let Him go unless He manifests Himself to you. Seek Him. Seek His presence. Go look for Him. Say, what does seek mean? Seek. That's that's a complicated word. It's four letters. 
little beyond me. Sometimes these, actually, these little words that kind of confuse me too. So if you're a little confused, like, well, what does that mean? Seek God. So the pastor said, seek God this morning. What does that mean? Go look for him. You ever go look for something? Lost my keys, kids. Lost my keys somewhere. Where, 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 did I, where did I put my keys? Oh, found them. To seek is to look for. Very simple concept. Seek God, seek His presence, look for Him. Where do you look for Him? Look for Him in His Word. Where, where would God be? If you were to look for God, where would He be? He would be in church. He'd be with His people. He'd be in the Word. That's it. Go to church. Make that the priority in your life. I'm just making it simple. He'll be wherever God's people are gathered. Two or three gathered. Hear the preaching of the Word of God. Go to where God is. Just go look for Him. And you will find Him. Prayer meeting. God manifests Himself in certain areas. I'm amazed at how often I find the presence of God in prayer meeting where there's only like five of us in a room. Strangest thing. My wife has said, sometimes I sense more presence there than I do in the wider group on Sunday morning and things like that. I mean, I, I get encouragement everywhere where there's God's people gathered. But where do you find the presence of God? Where is He revealing Himself to you? Go find Him. Seek Him. Have a hunger and thirst after Him and receive more of Him. Amen? It's the very best. We only find increasing levels of satisfaction. Satisfaction increases as we seek Him and find Him and find our rest in Him. Always two positions for the Christians. I can't remember why I read this. I read it like two months ago. You're desiring more of God when you don't appreciate or sense His presence. You're delighting in Him when you are in His presence. So you're either desiring more of Him or delighting in Him either way. It's desiring God. Our, our lives are made up of wandering in the wildernesses, desiring God, ergo Psalm 42. And then we get to the tabernacle and now we're delighting in God. So the Christian life is a life full of looking for God, desiring God, and delighting in Him. It's either desiring or delighting. Which is it today? It will be one or the other. Are you desiring God? Are you delighting more in Him? That's the Christian life. Seek God, and with all your seeking, seek Christ. Apply a holy agony to seeking God for yourself. And then finally, here's the second application, comes in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Second application is the cry of John the Baptist. Isaiah here, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all said it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and receive the remission of sins. Repent and do the first works. That's Jesus. It's repentance all over the place. A word that is largely lost in the Christian vocabulary today. I did a search on repentance sermons, and it is just a fraction of the number of faith sermons on some of these uh, outlets that you'll find online. Repentance is not preached very much in the churches as compared to faith. But Paul says in Acts chapter 20, I preach two things to you. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a 50-50. Repentance should be all over the place in the churches. Not so, according to my uh, calculations uh, in terms of word search for sermons on the sermon outlets online. So repentance is a far gone concept People don't really know what it is. You need to know what it is. It should be extremely familiar to you. Like, this is my life. This is what I live. This repentance, yeah. It's the basics for the Christian ministry and the Christian church. Absolutely, I know what it is. I live it out. It should be something that is right there for all of us. It's the realization of the wrongness of your position. It is the realization that I was all wrong. I am the problem. It's that point in the conflict where you realize, forget everybody else in the world. I'm the problem. 
I'm it. It's me and God. And I've fallen fall short of the glory of God. I played the victim. I've blamed everybody else in my life. But now I've come to realize I am the problem. I'm the vile sinner against God. And I'm incapable of sinning, uh, saving myself. And as a Christian, in your testimony, I think we need to look back 25 years. Maybe 10 years, maybe 5 years for some of you. And say, Man, I used to think that way. But I don't think that way anymore. I was so wrong in the way that I was thinking about, well, virtually everything 15 years ago. See, that's the way a Christian is. I used to walk that way, but I don't walk that way anymore. I go back 25 years. I used to say this. If I went back 25 years and met myself, I'd sock myself in the face. I don't think that's a very merciful thing to do either. So I repented of that. I'm repenting of a lot of things. But you go back and meet yourself 25 years ago and you think, what was I thinking? You have a conversation with yourself 25 years ago. Would you be horrified? Would you say, boy, you need to repent. Girl, what's wrong with you? You know, you need to repent. Time machine, 25 years ago. There's you having a conversation with you. That's what I'm talking about. Repentance is not works. It's not what the word means. Repentance is a change of mind and perspective. And if you attend a repenting church, you attend a church that presents a biblical perspective concerning yourself, sin, righteousness, Christ, etc., the world, you know, and you hate the world more and more, you hate your own flesh more and more, you hate your own sinful desires more and more, but you love Jesus more, you love the gospel more, you're drawn to a gospel message, you don't come into a church and say, this church preaches too much gospel. You don't come into a church and say, this church doesn't preach enough this or that, but it needs to preach more gospel. It needs to preach more of the law of God, more of righteousness, more of sin, more of the beauties of Christ, more of everything. And then we receive that, and our minds begin to change more and more. We begin to live our lives according to the gospel. We love God more and more. We don't love ourselves first and foremost, but love God first and foremost. So much begins to change. No more endless talking about other people's sins. But you see yourself naked standing before the judgment bar of God. And all that self-righteousness and that pride and that blame shifting has no place in your life anymore. It's just gross. You remember how you used to blame shift. You remember how you used to get really huffy in relational breakdown. It was like, moi? Moi sin? And now you look back at that attitude and you go... That's just sick. What was I thinking? You see, that's repentance. That's repentance. Repent of your love for worldliness, for worldly ideas, idolatry. How many idolatries are trying to grab onto our pant legs like a mad chihuahua all the time? That's why I like to look at it. You know, I don't like chihuahuas anyway, but a mad chihuahua is even worse. So, it just... You know, this rabid chihuahua, that, that pride and lust and idolatries and stuff are trying to get at me. And you're more and more kicking the chihuahua. I'm sorry, I should be more cautious with chihuahuas. But, but still, you get the point, don't you? That we're turning away from our sin and turning towards Jesus more and more. And let me just say this. Repent of our bitterness towards God. Our lack of love towards God and His laws. And, and you know, here's the other thing. I didn't see so much of my sin until the Word of God just kept coming back at me and the Spirit of God worked in me. I thought I was a pretty good guy, but it turns out I wasn't. And there was this bitterness towards God or this lack of love towards God and His laws. And at times, a bad attitude towards His church, the very body of Christ, the family of God. I had a bad attitude towards my brothers or my sisters. And I go, that's a problem. And I turn away from that. Now I'm loving God more, loving Jesus and the body for whom He gave His life. Well, repentance comes before remission in the order of Scripture. The prodigal, I'll end here, the prodigal comes back as a sinner that repents. The one sinner repenting, remember the joy in heaven, one sinner repents, the prodigal comes back, he says, I was wrong. He doesn't get to his whole speech. He doesn't even get to his whole speech. He is repented. He sees himself as that dirty, rotten son who thwarted his father's love. And now he, he comes back and says on his knees, Father, I've sinned against you. 
and the father doesn't even let him finish and the father just abundantly pardons him, opens up his arms to the repentant sinner and says, I receive you, I forgive you. Let's get the fatted calf out, ring on his hand, robe on his back and God abundantly pardons where that sinner comes in humility and repents before our God, our Father, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all say, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, for this great offer. Oh, come, buy and eat. Without money, come. Oh, God, help us to see that you invite us. There's such love and mercy. You're standing there at the mailbox, at the end of the driveway, waiting for the repentant sinner to come. Just come back and say just three words. I was wrong. I'm not worthy to. And you interrupt us. And you pour out your forgiveness. And you receive us as your sons into your home. Father, oh God, help us to repent. Help us, oh God, to so desire, to, to go so seek after you that we will receive you. And we will receive the fulfillment and the satisfaction that only comes by your words, by the life of Jesus, by your righteousness imputed to us and, and imparted to us as well, by your grace, all by your grace. And oh God, that we would just reach out our hands to receive. Oh God, that we would pull our fingers out of your, our ears and just hear the words of love, the words that you have to share with us. Just to hear it and receive it. That these are your words of promise, your words of grace to me and to each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do you feel those life-giving words? Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Amen. Well, as we come to the Lord's table, back to the first verse. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. These words are so similar to Jesus' words in Matthew 11. He has the same invitation. Come unto me. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for my soul, or for your soul. It's a stressed out world, isn't it? People are stressed out. How many times are we stressed out? Running around like Martha, anxious, fear dominates. There is an end to this rat race. There is no peace for the wicked, but there is resolution of guilt. There is resolution of all of the, the working and working and working and working that is out there for the world. Jesus comes to us and he promises us hope. In a world of death and despair and hopelessness, Jesus brings life and he wants to bring it more abundantly. He promises hope that we'll never be ashamed. He promises rest and peace and life. And he promises everything that the world cannot give us. The product of what he brings to us is life. Three things. The price to you is nothing. The price to him was everything. It was his own life. The value of the product is both infinite and eternal in scope. So in other words, you've got this product, this beautiful gift. The price of the gift is infinite. The value of the gift is infinite. It is indeed, in a very real sense, the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you. And it keeps on giving for all eternity. Okay? So there's a great value to this gift. But now you receive the gift without money, but He provides the gift by His own life, by putting His own life on the cross for us and shedding His blood for us. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ that brings the gift to us. So, as we receive the gift today, and again, we receive the gift in faith today. Receive the blood of Jesus Christ. Receive His death on the cross for your sins as His gift to you. Receive Himself as His gift 
to you this morning. It is without money. It is without price for you. It was an infinite price for him. But in faith, reach out and receive his life. And so, in like manner, in faith, reach out and receive his gift of this cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins. In faith, reach out and receive the body of Christ symbolized in the bread. In faith, reach out, receive this, say, this is for me. His life for my life. His death for my resurrection. So I encourage you, just receive the sacrament today in faith. And those of you visiting, take a look at the back of the bulletin. We have a little bit on how we participate in the supper here at the church. encourage you to take a look at that before you partake with us. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that we would see the value of the gift. Father, help us to see your love wrapped up in the gift. Help us to understand more of the efficacy and the, the beauty and the thing accomplished through the gift. God, we would better understand your love, better understand the work of Christ, better understand the glory of your redemption and what it has achieved for us. Father God, that we don't look at it as some mean thing, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins, that we'd understand that better and we give you thanks for it. We bless you, Father. All your love is seen in this great gift that you've given to us and the gift that the Son gave to us by giving to us his own life. Father, thank you for this. May you appropriate this now by your Holy Spirit. In faith, we receive it. We have gratitude for it. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.